Well, guys, good morning. We're going to wrap up our series, Mean People. Last week, we were left with more questions than answers. This week, we're going to have more answers than questions. And guys, we have them, right? We have the mean people in our lives, and we may, we may think of some things we want to do to them or we pray that happens to them. But I don't know about you, but it seems like it's gotten worse the last two years. Like, did the pandemic give people permission to act mean? It may leave you asking, like, what's wrong with that person? What's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? What's wrong with people? Um, in a recent article, Olga Khan interviewed more than a dozen experts on crime and psychology. She asked why disorderly, rude, and unhinged conduct seems to have caught on as much as bread baking and Bridgerton. James White, who's a theologian, provides a recap based on that study. He believes the reason why is, one, we're stressed out. We're stressed out. There's a psychologist from the University of Wisconsin at Green Bay who studies anger, and he notes that when someone, quote, has that angry feeling, it's because of a combination of some sort of provocation, end quote, meaning you're provoked. People are constantly feeling provoked from staff shortages to waiting in line for 20 minutes to get fast food for request to mass back up for gas being as much as it is for building supplies taking two three months to get to us it's just crazy and quite honestly people are just constantly provoked and our moods aren't helping either as there's a collective animus toward other people so not only are we stressed out but james white says that we're abusing substances Based on studies, drug overdoses have increased since 2019, and drug treatment was hindered because of COVID. So not only are we stressed out, not only have some abused substances, and we're social beings. Like you and I, we were created for connection, and yet isolation is changing us. The pandemic, it broke up connection, and it replaced it with isolation. Like kids didn't go to school, people didn't go to work. And people didn't go to church. And even though there's a remote option for all of those things, it's still not the same thing with being in a room, shoulder to shoulder, face to face with people. There's something about being with people in a physical place with physical people. And guys, if we're honest, it's very likely that over the last two years, we acted mean. We were like the people we don't like. And for some of us, we felt like our liberty, our individual liberties were taken away. Guys, but even over the last two years, we've all given in to stress and we've all acted. I mean, we had a mean streak. So I know we may have a list of people who are really, really mean to us. But I think it's really wise for all of us, including me, to take a look in the mirror and allow the Holy Spirit room and an opportunity to do something in us. Because... If we don't provide the Holy Spirit an opportunity or, or an opening to do something in and through us, I believe something and our opportunity room will be made for us because we can't keep going on being isolated and being very quick-tempered and very, very quick to say things that we don't mean. We cannot get to that place because there's going to be some consequences, guys, and I'm just as guilty as anybody else. So, 
it is important for us to know how to respond to mean people because if we don't have a plan, the mean people in our lives gain a measure of control over our lives. And before we know it, we're acting like the same people we don't like. And here's why. Mean people, they keep you and I off balance. Like they live in our minds, run free. I mean, how many times have we had that conversation, that imaginary conversation? They're nowhere near, they're nowhere to be found, and yet we're thinking about them, and we're thinking about the things we want to do to them and say to them and get back at them because we want to get even because of the hurt, wound for wound, blow for blow. And when we're off balance, we're tempted to compromise our own principles. There's been times where people have called me on like, hey, you're acting, you're not yourself. You seem to be acting a lot like that person and that person is one I don't like. Last week I shared a story about a childhood bully. And so I'll share a little bit of the story and then I'll share the ending towards the end of the message. But there was someone that I remember that was the meanest person in my life. It was Mike the Bully. And he lived up the road from us, and he was much older than me. And back in the 80s, we would all ride the bus together. And so I think I was, I believe I was in kindergarten, first grade, and he was in sixth grade. I remember that he rode the bus along with me. And before we would get on the bus, he would pick on me. He would push me around. And then when we get off the bus and we would walk our way down home, He would push me. He would punch me. During this time, I never said much to my parents. Instead, I figured that I could somewhat come up with a plan to get Mike off my back. So I'm thinking, well, I could convince my friends that we could gang up on him and and put him out of his misery. I mean, I I don't know what a bunch of kindergarten and first graders could do, maybe bite bite his leg or something. I'm I'm not sure. But I also thought, man, maybe I could just pray for him to move. Or I thought, man, maybe I could weld a thin steel protective layer over my chest, you know, something of steel, and then he would punch me, and then it would break his hand. See, without really even knowing it, all those thoughts, I was becoming like him, and I didn't even like him. And finding a way to get even consumed my thoughts, even as a young boy, it consumed my thoughts. And then one afternoon, we got off the bus, and he just beat me up. And I remember going home pretty beaten up. See, the truth is, man, there's difficult people. There's mean people in our lives. And it's difficult to be good to those who aren't good. It's hard to honor those who dishonor other people. It's hard to be kind to those who are unkind. And guys, when we face mean people, when we face difficult people, we want another option than the golden rule. Maybe you grew up in church and you're very familiar with the golden rule. And and maybe you haven't been in church in a long time, but you maybe remember hearing about the golden rule. The golden rule is do to others as you would have others do to you. That doesn't sound like fun. That doesn't even sound vengeful. That doesn't even sound like us getting even. Like That that makes us feel like a doormat, right? Instead, we want the iron roll. We want to do to others as they have done to you. And it seems right. It seems fair. It seems like the just thing to do, right? Getting even is the right thing to do. And guys, even though we may daydream about getting even, we daydream about the iron roll. Getting even with someone we don't like only makes us like them. 
So what do we do? Like, what do we do with the mean and difficult people in our lives? Well, there's a better way to live this out. And it was modeled a thousand years before Jesus' birth by a woman named Abigail. And Abigail was a brilliant, wise woman. And as we take a look at this story in the Old Testament, it's going to be in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. So you have your first five books of the Old Testament, which is Genesis all the way to Deuteronomy. And then you have Joshua, Judges, and then 1 Samuel. So we have to remember that Jesus is God. Jesus is God in the flesh. You know, in the New Testament, he's God in the flesh. So God was shaping this wise woman heart to handle mean people in an undeserving way, much like how God through Jesus a thousand years later would deal with an undeserving humanity. So before we look at Abigail and how she modeled this better way to live, here's the backstory. David, he's the young shepherd boy. He used a slingshot to kill the giant Goliath, and he becomes a national hero. In fact, they end up winning the battle. David collects God's sword. Now sometime later, Saul discovers that Samuel, who is God's judge, God's spokesman, like a prophet, anoints David to be the next king of Israel, that Saul's line would stop at Saul. Saul didn't like that. He wanted his son Jonathan to be the next king, so he tries to kill David. Not once, but twice. And so David becomes a fugitive. He's out in the wilderness, and he's labeled a fugitive by Saul. 600 other fugitives join David, and they're out in the wilderness. And while there, word gets that Samuel dies. So imagine how David is feeling. He's angry by the fact that he has done everything to protect the king in Israel, but yet he's labeled a fugitive. He's being wronged. And then also someone that he looked up to, someone that he loved, died. Imagine the emotions that he's feeling. It was only going to take a moment for him to be triggered. We talked about being provoked. So here's what we read last week. There is a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep sharing time. So we know that he's wealthy because he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it was sheep sharing time, which meant that this was his annual report. He knew how much more profit that he was going to earn. This man's name was Nabal, and his wife Abigail was a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, Caleb was one of the two spies that came back and said, hey, we can go into the, in, into the promised land. But the other spy, spy, spies, spies said, no, Joshua and Caleb were the two spies. Well... Nabal is nothing like Caleb. He was crude and mean in all his dealings. So David sends a delegation of 10 guys down to Nabal to ask for some of the profit because they protected. Notice what these delegates say. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them. We never stole anything from them. Like we protected them from raiders. Like Us, we, David, our team, we ought to have some of these prophets. Notice what he says. Instead of saying, thank you, I had no idea. Let me give you guys something for your efforts. It was, who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? 
See, Nabel says in so many words, I did not agree to this. I'm a businessman. I did not agree to this. And so because I didn't agree to this, I don't owe David, I don't owe you anything. I don't owe anybody anything. See, he throws some shade at David because everybody knew who David was. In so many words, Nabal was saying that David is a nobody. So David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. Get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped up on his strapped on his own. What was his sword? Yeah, it was Goliath's sword. And then 400 men started off with David and 200 remained behind to guard the equipment. Guys, 399 more men that were necessary. And this was not going to go well for Nabal. David was getting even and he felt like he was justified in his response. Nobody's going to talk to me like that without feeling the consequences. David had just been saying a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness. Nothing he owed was lost or stolen, but he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me, even if one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. What are we hearing? We're hearing that he is provoked. He's hurt. He's wounded. He's angry and is being provoked when someone is repaying him evil for good. So we have two characters Two responses and still no hero. Nabal, evil for good, very maniacal. David, evil for evil, very natural. Then let's see Abigail, how she handles it differently. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us and we never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You need to know. You need to know this and you need to figure out what to do. For there is trouble going. There is going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. Abigail, you know this. He's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. Abigail, we need you to do something. So Abigail wasted no time. So she ends up loading uh, several hundred donkeys, hundreds of donkeys with loaves of bread, wine, cakes, and figs. And she was preparing to feed David's men. And she didn't tell Nabal what she was doing or where she was going. Meanwhile, David was on his way and Abigail was on her way to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. So before you rush into judgment, be very quick to hear. I know Nabal, I know my husband, and he's a wicked and ill-tempered man. Like I, I, It is very possible that she chose not to marry him, but it was part of a dowry. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never, never, I've never saw your messengers. I didn't see them. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. And Abigail does two things so wisely. Number one, she reminds David of the Lord. Look, when our mind is directed back to the Lord, it changes our mind, it changes our heart, it changes our perspective. 
The other thing is that she's providing David an opportunity to be better than what he was about to be. And maybe she took a glance and saw Goliath's sword because everybody knew what David had done. David, you're a man of faith. This is not an act of faith. And here, she says, is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men, all of this food. Now, please forgive me if I've offended you in any way. Like, if you're David, how in the world do you raid and kill someone who is married to Nabal and she's bringing you what you're about to steal? Like, like how do you kill and raid someone or raid and kill someone who is seeking forgiveness? She goes on, she says, the Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty. Like, I know things haven't shaked out well for you, but you've been anointed God has chosen you to be the king and have a dynasty. You are fighting the Lord's battles. And you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. David, you're innocent. We all know that you're innocent. And even though you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. What she's saying is, listen, you're protected God has a plan for you and he's going to see it through, but the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. Very clever with her words. She's hopefully reminding David of, listen, listen, you fought Goliath with a sling. You don't need to do this because this is not one of God's battles. God's battles is what you fought on that battlefield and you killed Goliath. Don't go down this path. And so David comes to his senses and he doesn't even act like, he, now he, he's not, not willing to get even. And notice what he says, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to meet me today. Thank God for you. Thank God that you have good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. You're right, Abigail. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. And then David, he accepted her present and told her, Return home in peace. I have heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. So David, he stops. He takes the gift. And they enjoy the food. Well-deserved food. Well, Abigail goes back home. She finds Nabal drunk and she tells him what she did. His heart fails and he dies 10 days later. David did not have to fight. David only needed it to play out. Now, we need an Abigail in our lives. We, we need someone who is going to talk us down. We all need someone wise enough in our lives that it's going to speak to us God's perspective and a preferred future. Because what we want now may rob us for what we want later. And we need people to provide us God's perspective and a perspective of a preferred future. We have three characters with three responses, and we have one hero. Nabal was evil for good. He was very maniacal. David was evil for evil. Very natural thing to do. And then you have Abigail, good for evil, supernatural. And those are our choices. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, 
you don't have a choice. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you you get to choose. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we only have one option, and that is good for evil. It's supernatural. Because we have been on the receiving end of the supernatural. We've been on the receiving end of good for evil because the, the Old Testament talks about how our heart is wicked, and so does the New Testament. Like, our heart's wicked. It's not longing for the things of God. And yet God was willing to treat us, undeserving humanity, with good, with kindness, with grace. We call it amazing grace. See, instead of doing something to someone, God did something for you. And that's what we're called to do. We are called to live this out too. That instead of doing something to someone, we do something for them. See, while we're still sinners, Jesus died for us. And Jesus invites you and I to follow him by living out his example through the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice what Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. And he goes on to say, you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. So, my dad came home from work and found me beaten up. And so he said, I need you to go into the kitchen with your mom and make some of those homemade cookies. And so I went in with my mom. We made the homemade cookies. And after the cookies were made, we got in the truck. We drove up to Mike the Boldly's house. We knocked on the door. And they were amazed and they received our plate of cookies and he never once touched me again. Now, that's, that's not true, man. I'm kidding. The, the cookie part never happened. But here's what happened. My dad was angry when he got home and my mom was able to talk him down. Our neighbor friend was able to talk him down as well. So my dad grabs me in the truck, puts me in the truck, and we drive up to the, the bully's house. And with me at my dad's side, my dad spoke loudly with this other dad and said that it'd be wise for his son never to talk or touch me. And afterwards, the bully never once touched me, and it ended up moving away. See, there are four questions that we asked last week, and with all this information that we now know, what do we do with those four questions? Like one, do you really want to be even with someone you don't even like? Number two, wouldn't you rather be ahead? Because when we set back and we become like them, we're not growing. We're not getting to where God wants us to be. Three, what story do you want to tell? Because there's always going to be a story to tell. And then what would it look like to return good for evil? I know this is not easy. Jesus doesn't call us to easy things. He calls us to things that are going to reflect the gospel. And this reflects the gospel. This reflects the message of the cross and the resurrection that you and I didn't deserve life but yet he was willing to lay down his life so we could receive forgiveness and provide us life through the resurrection. See, Jesus died the death that we should have died 
because we couldn't live a life that we were supposed to. We couldn't live that perfect life. Jesus did. Guys, this is not necessarily an easy topic, but the Holy Spirit can help you and I live a life that honors Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm sure there are people on our minds right now that we want to get back at. We, we want to get even with. And I just ask that you will temper us. I ask that you would allow people like an Abigail to be in our life so that we could understand that that is not the direction to go. So Father, put those blockades like an Abigail or allow the Holy Spirit to, to change our perspective, change our minds so we don't go down a road that we can never get back from. God, help us. Help us be reminded of the gospel as we are dealing with mean and unthankful people, difficult people. Help us to be reminded of the gospel. Father, as we handle different people in our lives, provide us the grace and the mercy that we need to extend to them. Father, if those that are watching and listening who have yet to make a decision to follow Jesus, I ask that they would see at the heart of the gospel is that you are willing to forgive and you're willing to set free. Okay, so God, I just pray that people are willing to trust you. They're willing to lay down their, just their pride and say, man, I'm all in with following Jesus. Father, if people are hurting because of some situation in their life, I ask that you provide healing for them. In Jesus' name, amen.